back then, when I played in the bars, couldn't know how quietly arrogant I was, how much better I thought I was than them because they were paying to come see me and hear me. All kinds of wickedness, things that people might never have known, but, but uh, what a wonderful change the Lord does make. It's amazing to ourselves, and if you know yourself and you're saved, you know what God did for you when he saved you is just beyond the ability to explain sometimes. The, the, the change is so wonderful, and we should never get over that. Every day we wake up, we're still the Lord. I woke up in a hospital one day. Let's turn to Hebrews 4.12. Woke up in the hospital, couldn't remember a thing. Couldn't remember a Bible verse, couldn't remember a song. Couldn't remember my family genealogy past my father and mother. And uh, that's all I ever knew anyway. I just related to the whole, whole of everything I know. But um, when I finally realized where I was and that I had survived open heart surgery, the first thing that came to my mind was, I'm the Lord's. And then I remembered part of a verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And that calmed my fears and my confusion for the time. It was the only comfort I had, uh, discovering that I was not in too good of a way. But Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 4.12, the name of this message is two musical choices even a child can make. Even a child can make. And I think of, of what I found in the, the two passages in Matthew. That was the most astounding to me. That children can understand what music does. How it works. Maybe not in its entirety, but they know that it does work and they know how to work it. Children. Children. But Hebrews 4.12, let's all stand And we'll read just that one verse together out loud. Wonderful verse about the Bible. We want to see it in action in Matthew 11 and Matthew 21. When we get there, uh, Hebrews 4.12, let's read it together. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We'll say a few things about it, but let's pray together first. Lord, we would ask thy help again to take the honor and glory to thyself and to impart great and helpful, practical, real wisdom to people from the, the Bible, from the word of God. And if there's someone in need of salvation, may they see that they need thee today as their Savior, and may they put their trust in Thee. So, Holy Spirit, work in our midst, work in our lives, work in the lives of every saint of God. Lord, we just seem to need that cleansing and re-cleansing and re-cleansing and returning always to the Word of God to be brought back to a right place where such faulty, faulty creatures, sinful creatures, and, Lord, we thank Thee for the help that comes from the Word of God and from Thy Holy Spirit. But help me deliver this message now and work in every life, every heart. Guide me through this 
Help me to say those things that I need to say and omit those things I should not. And bless everyone that's here. Give them what they need for thy honor and glory and thy name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. I'm going to say just a little bit about this verse. It is about the scriptures. It is about the word of God. They are quick. They are living. And I won't take the time to tell stories of uh, many people have given, they found just the word in the Bible that they needed at the time they needed it because it's a living book. It's a book of God. It's powerful. We mentioned that already. Those of you that are saved, that are born again, you saw God not only save you, you were there when you trusted the Lord, of course, but you saw the change that he made in you. That you could not make and would not probably have made either. The word of God is powerful. We saw that. I gave you, what, nine verses that weren't anything about music that convicted me completely about my life as a rock and roll musician. And I could not get any comfort until I got out of that band, out of that lifestyle. The word of God is powerful, I'm glad for that, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Folks should never be offended by a preacher preaching. If he preaches the word of God, it's a two-edged sword. It does cut, it hurts, but it cuts like a surgeon's knife. So that we can be cleansed of the dross, cleansed of, of the wickedness, cleansed of the evil. The word of God does that kind of work expected to do something and it says piercing it's another painful painful word there piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart it really takes the, the word of God it takes the Bible to show us the difference between soul and spirit you put seven Baptist preachers in a room and talk about soul and spirit and you'll get seven different definitions of each one of those things the joints and marrow is a little bit easier to describe that's this body of flesh that we have that likes it somewhere between 69 and 71 degrees uh, if you're from Wisconsin anyway maybe you like it a little warmer I don't know but uh, that wants to sit in a hammock with lemonade and iced tea and let someone else mow the lawn let someone else go to school let somebody else go to work I want to relax that's the joints and marrow it does what it wants to do. It does everything for its own comfort and for its own pleasure. And we're housed in a body like that. But the soul and the spirit, I'm going to give some simple definitions to so that I can preach the message and get somewhere. Have to keep it simple for me. And I often say this, if we want to look at the difference between soul and spirit, our spirit is where we know we're a man. We have the spirit of a man. It's where we know things. It's where if we think about God, we are thinking about God in our spirit. It's, it deals with our thought life. The words, Jesus said, that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They are life. And so the spirit deals with thoughts, ideas, words. If I say peas, asparagus, beans, beets, rutabaga, our spirit knows what that is, at least what some of them are. I'm still not sure what rutabaga is, all right? 
But our soul is that part of us that deals with feelings and emotions. In the spirit, we know what a vegetable is. In the soul, we react to it and go, mmm, or ugh. And so that's the difference, and I'm going to keep it simple that way. We house thoughts in the spirit, in the soul, that makes up what, what becomes our personality or our character. We have all of our likes and dislikes, the things that we love and the things that we hate. Emotions, feelings. And we're told that the Bible can sort that out. And it even, it even shows us the motive. Brother Randall is preaching on motive. It shows us the motive. That's why people don't like Bible preaching. It shows us when our motives are evil, when our purposes are evil, when our intents and when our leanings are not good. But let's go right away to Matthew chapter 11. And even the, the message is a simple message so that it's easy for me to preach. We have a bad choice in Matthew 11, and then we're going to go to a good choice in Matthew 21. That's good, isn't it? Bad choice, good choice. And obviously, that's one of those, you know, da things where you, you, which choice should I take? You know, door A or door B? Well, we want to make the good choice and, and good choices in life. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to see what's going on here in this chapter. I never heard anyone else preach on these verses. I call them obscure, obscure musical verses. And uh, they're just tucked away in the middle of some other things. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus is speaking to the people of his day. And really, they're no different than the people of today. And this is what he says in verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. Now, it's not wrong to be a child. Believe it or not, I was one once too. But it's wrong to stay a child. We have to grow up. Whether that's fortunate or unfortunate in our mind, uh, we, th- there comes a time when we say, I have to grow up. I have to mature. And these children in particular must have been well known in Jesus' day and age. And he said, you, you folks out there are like these children. It is like unto children sitting in the markets. Now there's something wrong with that. They're not supposed to be sitting in the markets. Their father and mother are selling their wares, selling their goods. They set up their little stand, and they are, are making their living. And as was, it was done, it used to be done anyway, the parents taught the children their trade. They made sure that their children were valuable and could earn a living. And these children are not supposed to be sitting. They're supposed to be working and helping their parents. But they're not doing that. They're idle. They're not doing any good. They're not learning what they're supposed to learn. It says they're calling unto their fellows. Oh, there's other children in the marketplaces. The younger I was, the more friends I had. 
And I, I liked being very social when I was younger. I liked finding other children my age. And these children are doing the same thing. So they're calling out to him. But notice what they're calling out in verse 17. They're saying two things. Number one, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. Oh, that's why they're sitting there. They're playing musical instruments. And I, I would say this right away. Some people just play music for fun. Some people play music for money. There's wrong motives with music, for sure. But these children are playing to get the attention of their friends. And they're upset a little bit. They said, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. That's the first appeal that they make to their friends. And the second one follows. But let's just talk about that for a moment. We have piped unto you and you have not danced. These children are pouting just a little bit because they tried to get their friend's attention by playing on their little flute. And they said, this is the way we play the flute and it makes people get up and dance. That's what I, I told you before amazed me about this scripture. Jesus let us know that children understand the power of music to move the human body. And in this particular case, to get up and dance. And, and, and these flutists or whatever they're playing on their pipes are, are upset because their friends are not responding. Well, I can tell you why they weren't. It wasn't that they were bad flautists. I guess they, they say flutists again now today. But they were busy doing what they were supposed to do with their parents. That's why they weren't paying any attention. Their parents said, we got to teach you, you know, how to do what, what we do so you can make a living when you grow up. And the little pipers were upset. Come on, we, we played the little dance song for you and you didn't dance. That's an appeal to the joints and the marrow, to the flesh. We play this song a certain way and you're supposed to get up and dance. Probably a rather light or happy or frivolous song, whatever. But nevertheless, something to move the human body. The problem with this kind of thing, if, if I'm a musician, if you're a musician that plays just to stir up a, a reaction in other people's bodies, you become that kind of a person. You sort of think with your body. If we, can, if we can use the word think there. There are people who listen to their flesh and follow their flesh. We call them flesh balls. That's the ter terminology that's given. If they want to do it, they do it. They used to say back in the 60s when the hippies were around, and I was too square to be a hippie, but, but uh, when the hippies were around, if it feels good, do it. That was their motto. That was the flesh ball's motto. They didn't care what the Bible said. If they wanted to do it, they did it, and they did. And it was a failed experiment. Their sexual revolution was an awful period of time. And how it ever could have been resurrected and people turned to it again, I don't know. But that's the way human nature is. Flesh balls, though. There was, there was a young girl who was a Baptist from Texas, I believe, Jessica Simpson. 
And I know she has a younger sister. Some people said, you gave me the wrong name. No, I'm talking about older sister, Jessica. And she got in a group. And her father was her producer and manager. And she got in this group, and she was a young virgin girl. We'll, we'll call her that. And she just wasn't sensual enough for the rest of the people in that particular market. They said, look, we can help you sell more records. But we have to step up, and they didn't use the word carnality, but we have to step up your dance moves, and we need to make them more sexy. We need to take some of your clothing off so you're wearing less and you look more sexy. We're going to have to spice up the lyrics of the songs that you sing and make them sexier. And then we will write articles about you in the newspapers and the magazines that will make you look like a very sexy person and that will make you more attractive and you'll sell more recordings. She went with it. Her father went with it. And they, they stepped up all of these things and if you had followed her in the tabloids and, and those papers, you know, at Walmart, you would have, would have seen what was happening. In the meantime, she got married and he was a young, handsome man but to her, her life was all about her. She did what she wanted to do. When people accent this joints and marrow kind of life, they become that kind of a person. That's why we have a name for them and call them flesh balls. And when you, when you play flesh ball music, you start to think that way. You start to live that way. You start to be that way. The longer I stayed in the rock and roll band, the more I became like a rock and roll person. Now, I was uh, what they, they didn't have a, a name for us, but they would have called me a nerd back then. I had big buck teeth, and I had these big glasses, and they were black, you know, Clark Kent. But I got in a rock and roll band, and it made me day by day, more and more rock and rollish. Did I understand all the lyrics? No. But as I began to understand them, I either had to accept them or I'd have to get out. And I discovered that I didn't necessarily agree with everything that they were singing. And then I became embarrassed. I don't want to sing that song. I know what it's about now. But I was a, I was a flesh ball. And that was the way I lived. I was pleasing myself, and I did what I wanted to do. But Jessica, Jessica married that young man, and their marriage fell apart because she wasn't focusing on anything spiritual. And she went to a Baptist church. I'm sure she heard something from the Bible. She was listed in just a few short years as the rich the rich, the young, and the lonely. Miserable life. And like I said, the last time I preached it somewhere, some young kid said, it's, their name is not Jessica, and I can't remember what her younger sister's name is. Jessica had already passed off the scene, and nobody knows who she is. I, I imagine her career is probably nearly over or over. You just, you don't see her. They're not promoting her anymore anyplace. Or maybe she wised up and got out. Or maybe she's dead. Don't really know. 
But these children said, we piped unto you and you have not danced. Jessica built her whole life on music that she could dance to. Step up the choreography. More drums. More rhythm. More dancing. And it was miserable for her. But these children didn't give up so easily. They made a second appeal to their friends. What do they say in verse 17? We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. They said, now come on, come on. We sang the sad song, and you're supposed to cry and feel bad. And you know, you know what country western is like. Depending on what part of the country, you, 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 you sing these songs because you lost your horse, you lost your dog, you lost your truck, you lost your wallet, you lost your wife, you lost your job, you lost your mind. <laughs> you had to play the record backwards to get it all back, you know, like the joke goes. But, but that's what that's all about. People living in misery and they're sad and because we have sorrow in our life somewhere we go, oh, that's just that song is like it's about me. And people get all wrapped up in it and they will get attached to it. They're, they're not quite a flesh ball. We have to come up with another name for them. But you know what they're like? One day they go, whoa, I'm on top of the world. Everything is great. And then the next day it's, whoa, I can't wait for it to end. Everything's been bad. I can't stand it. I'm going to bed early. Then the next day they go, I got it. I can handle it. It's mine. Yep. And then the next day, oh, no, this is horrible. And so they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. Emotional yo-yos. That's what they are. They have a motto, too. It's not if it feels good, do it. It's, oh, people like it. Listen to your heart and follow your heart. Somebody quoted it at this conference already. Jeremiah knew the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I cannot trust my heart. You cannot trust your heart. You can't trust your emotions and your feelings. And I'll tell you, if it hasn't happened yet, you'll get to a place. Life is so big. God made life so big that we really can't handle it on our own. And you'll get tipped upside down. You'll be overwhelmed. Even King David said the water's almost overwhelmed or whelmed over him. Almost sank. Life can get tough. It can be rough. But people want to go by their feelings. Well, I feel like wearing this today. Well, I feel like eating this today. Well, I, I don't like this person. I don't want to be their friend anymore. And they make, they make decisions just based on how they feel. I'll tell you what, you can wake up some morning and feel pretty bad about everything. And if you try to trust your feelings, you, you'll not get anywhere with it. You'll not find the way out. But people are emotional yo-yos. They listen to their heart. They follow their heart. I just, I think of one lady that she needed a job. She went to a prayer meeting and, and uh, she said, I need a job. I can't find one. And 
And so they prayed. And uh, the next day, day, she came back. Next time the church met, and she said, I got a job. I know we prayed, and I knew God would answer the prayer. And I was walking downtown, and the sign said, help wanted. And I went in and got the job. She was a waitress in a tavern. God didn't provide that. She just let her heart tell, I got my job. I got my money. I got it. I'm working, working in a tavern. But people follow their heart. I thought of another Baptist that was a good example. And I'm not picking on Jessica, and, and I'll name the name Glenn Campbell, probably one of the best. You know, I was fooling around, and the grandchildren saw me doing a little bit of the, the uh, William Tell Overture. Glenn Campbell could play the William Tell Overture 100 miles an hour. All over, all over the thing. He was a studio musician from the time he was young. But he sang all those tearjerker country western songs. You know, I love you, but I got a head down the track, baby. But you know what? When I, when I found out that I loved my wife and that the Lord wanted me to marry her, I didn't tell her I love you, but I'm, I'm heading out of town. If I head out of town, she's got to go with me. And if she heads out of town, I'm going with her. But those, those country western songs, are, they just make everybody cry. Because everybody, you know, had a lover, had a friend, and thought that, that this was the one, and then they broke up. They understand that sorrow, that sadness. When I was a teenager, and I'll, I'll say it again, I, I thought I could find the right one. I, I found all the wrong ones. And then I got saved, and I thought I had to help God find the right girl for me. And I picked all the wrong ones. Breaking hearts is bad to do. Especially when it's mine. <laughs> I found out, and I'm so serious about that. All I had to do, I, I said, Lord, I can't pick the right girl. Bring me my wife. Drop her in my lap. Teach me how to be the right kind of Christian. I'll spend my time in the Bible and going to church, and you just, just bring my wife to me. And he did. It sure was a lot simpler and a, a whole lot less broken hearts. <laughs> anyway, there's only two songs when it comes to country western. It's, it's, it's honey, I love you, but I've got to go. And the other one is, honey, I loved you, and you left me high and dry. Either he goes or she goes, and that's the whole story. And then they cry about it, and they sing, you know, sing, and they play that gulping guitar. I played one note last night. It went, one of those, oh, and they went, Grandpa. But country western, I'll tell you, Glenn sang all those songs. He went through three or four wives too. He lived what he sang. And I'll tell you something else. The lyrics they come up with, they're not, they're not great poets. They're not great people with huge imaginative minds. They just live through these horrible things and they write them down into a song. Who's that country western? That lady, she said, I lived my song. Stand by your man. Tammy, why not? Probably. But anyway, the people who play... 
the emotional yo-yo music end up becoming emotional yo-yos. And I'll make an admission, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Glenn, but, it, but anyway, that, that's what I became. I was up and down with the emotions, and I was listening to my flesh and following my flesh and being miserable all the while, especially after I got saved, and God was trying to teach me some things. But Glenn started out when he was a young man. He played on that old, old song way back, Tequila. He was one of the guitar players on that recording. And, you know, that's what got him. He never could beat the drinking. I, I read his autobiography, which he wrote before he died. That's the way to do it, you know. <laughs> and at least read part of it. And he said he trusted Christ, but I, he just wasn't living for him. He said it right out in his book. And I believe him. I believe he knew the Lord. But anyway, he lived his life following his emotions. And it was, it was just destructive that way to him. Music will always affect the body. Whether it's a march or a dance or a lullaby that will put someone to sleep. Music will always affect the emotions. When, when I sing a good gospel song and I think about the words, often I move to tears. And uh, since my surgery, I've been over-emotional about everything, I guess. But that is not the right aim for musicians. These little children said, we're going, we're going to make a, a, a fleshly attack on our friends and get their attention. They couldn't do it. So they said, okay, we're going to go for their heart. We're going to go for their soul. We're going to go for their feelings. And they couldn't do that. And both of those are a wrong purpose. Well, that's what I was doing with the, the music. I wanted to sing the love songs to the girls and sweep them off their feet. And then the hard, fast, <laughs> noisy rockers to show the guys how tough I was. Fleshly and soulish, but the wrong aims for music. There can be a fleshly or a physical response. There can be an emotional response, but that's not where music is supposed to aim. These are wrong choices, two of them actually, wrapped up in one. And, and I have told people this before, and we'll look at the next two verses. If it did not affect how people thought of God, about God, I would say, who cares? The music's not an issue. But look at the very next two verses. Verse 18 first. Here's the prophet of God. Here's the man of God, John the Baptist. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath a devil. I read in another scripture that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And these people, these flesh balls and these emotional yo-yos are so twisted up and so mixed up that they're looking at what God did in filling a man with his spirit and saying he's got a devil. That's exactly the opposite of the kind of man John the Baptist was. They couldn't see the man of God in a right way. 
with the kind of music and thinking that they have in their life. And even about Jesus himself. Look at verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber. Jesus is not. A friend of publicans and sinners. I guess that much we could admit to. Jesus was a friend to me and to you, if you know him. They could not see God, could not see the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. They went, well, he's just, he's just a, a drunk. And he's overeating besides. He just lives out there with all the sinners. And here's the last portion. We're going to leave them in their bad choice. Making decisions in their heart and in their flesh. He said finally, but wisdom is justified of her children. Now literally that can be true. What I sow in my life, I may see in my children as they grow up. And after they're grown up. But it's true spiritually. For sure. What Jesus was saying is, you can live by a lie right now if you want to. You can follow your heart if you want to. You can follow your flesh if you want to. But someday, later on, we'll see whether it was the truth or not. It will come out. Wisdom is justified of her children. What do you produce in your life following the philosophy you have. And you know, that settled a whole bunch of things for me. I had friends and relatives and they disagreed about how we should raise our children. And I said, you know what? I have to do my best to study the word of God and raise my children as I see the Lord tells me to. And you have to do the same. But if if we don't match... I just need to live by the truth that I have because wisdom is justified of her children. I want things to turn out right down the road 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later. And so I want to live by the truth. I don't want to trust my heart because I know I can't. I don't want to trust my fleshly decisions. They don't work. And these things especially don't work in the crises that that show up in life. And wisdom is justified of her children. I need to live by the truth. And that will come out later on too. So I just told my friends and relatives, here's what we're doing. I'm going by the Bible. And we know it's going to come out right. But these children are using music to manipulate other people. Well, let's take a look at the good choice. We're just going to leave them there in their misery. Matthew 21. Here's the good choice. Here's the good choice. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, verse 9 of Matthew 21, cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So here's a crowd of people, and they're all shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. And that was taken out of the Psalms. So first of all, they've turned to the Scriptures for the lyrics of their music. There's a big crowd there, but nobody got up to dance. 
There's a big crowd there, but nobody's mourning because there's a sad song going on. Verse 10. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? There was an emotional stir, stir about the Lord. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, everything that Jesus has done so far has been good. The crowd was all stirred up, and they began to sing psalms. And then when he came to the temple, he cleansed it of those money changers that weren't supposed to be there, selling what they were selling. And then he found some blind folks and gave them sight, found some lame folks and made them strong enough to walk. That's all good. That's all good. Look at verse 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did... What kind of things did Jesus do? Wonderful things. He did and he does. He always does. They knew what Jesus did was wonderful that day. And the children, there they are. These are the children that made a right choice. The children crying in the temple, not not weeping, they're crying out singing, all right? And saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're singing the scriptures. The chief priests were filled with exceeding great joy, right? Now, if you're following along, you know it wasn't like that. Can you imagine the religious leaders? I don't care what the religion is. Jesus came doing good things, and they were sore displeased. I mean, they were chafed to the bone. What kind of religious leaders are those? You know, I need to tell you this. I was 19 when I heard the gospel from Jackie Clayton. We talked about it in Sunday school. And I started going to the Baptist church because I'd gotten saved. And lo and behold, we were going verse by verse through the book of John. Verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Verse by verse verse through the book of Genesis. Verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I said, boy, I never learned this in my Methodist church. Uh Uh-uh. And I wasn't at the Methodist church anymore. I'd sung in two of their choirs. And a Methodist preacher finally came over. (laughs) First time ever. And he wanted to make sure that the Ives family was going to stay members of the the Methodist church. And I told him what happened. I said, I I trusted the Lord. And I got out of the rock band. And I thought, "Well, well, praise God. He saved you and he changed you. And he said, well, that's an artificial life. I said, no, it wasn't artificial. It was very real. He never came over. He could have come over anytime. time. said, Mr. and Mrs. Ives, let's just pray for five minutes. We know your son is having a rough life out there. We know that he's troubled. He never did that. He came when he thought he was going to lose a church member or family. Five generations. 
And I, I told, I, he said, well, why are you going to the Baptist? I said, they study the Bible verse by verse. And I want to learn how to reach my friends and my neighbors and tell them how not to go to hell and tell them how they can trust Christ and go to heaven. Oh, he said, everyone's going to heaven. I said, what about the, the verse in Psalms that said, uh, it talks about this, all nations that forget God should be cast into hell. The wicked in all nations that forget God should be cast down. Oh, that's Old Testament. Yeah, yes, that's what, I, that's what I want to say. Yeah, and your point is? And I said, well, okay, how, how about in the book of Revelation? It talks about people being cast into the lake of fire. He said, oh, nobody can understand the book of Revelation. You write a book on Revelation, you'll make a million dollars. Nobody knows what that means. I just kept looking at my mother. That's why I'm going to the Baptist church and not to the Methodist church. He wasn't rejoicing. He was a lot like the chief priests and the scribes. The only thing he was concerned about was getting our family back into church at the Methodist church. He didn't care what God had done in my life. And he finally walked out the door after denying all kinds of portions of the Bible and said, now don't think I'm not your brother in Christ. I am. I found one of the other pastors. He was riding his Volkswagen near the university, and I, I opened up his car door and said hello to him. And he had a funny voice. He spoke like this. And he actually read scriptures in the Methodist church. He would do the scripture reading with a funny voice that he had. But anyway, uh, and I said, oh, Reverend Harvey. And I, I told him the same thing. I told him how I got saved. Here he's waiting at the stop sign to drive off somewhere. And... and uh, he, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, I know you read, you know, you read Bible in the Methodist church. Why, why didn't you tell me about salvation that I need, needed a Savior? And he said, well, we believe in quiet sharing. I said, okay, why didn't you quietly share it with me? <laughs> he had no, well, maybe you weren't listening. I said, oh, no, I was listening. Their response, it is, they had no joy in seeing that I was delivered from hell and delivered from an awful life. And I just said, I, I'm leaving the Methodist church. I, there's no point in going back there. Nobody seems to care about what Jesus does. Well, let me finish the passage and close here. But it's end uh, they were sore displeased. At least they had enough character. They came to Jesus, look at verse 16, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? It, can't, it couldn't stand all the children praising God. Ah, just kids making all kinds of noise. They don't sing with great tone, not usually. But they sure, they sure have a heart for God. And so Jesus took the knife of the scriptures and stuck it in them and said, and Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read, you chief priests, you scribes? Haven't you been reading your Bible? Don't you read the scriptures? 
Don't you believe what the Bible says? Have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. You know what it says in Psalm 8? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. Do you know what? Perfected praise is that simple, wonderful thing that a child can do, and so can a grown-up, but where we simply sing believing, not doubting. We simply rejoice because God said it, and we know it's true. And we rest in it. These little children were singing perfected praise. Hosanna to the son of David. They didn't go, hmm, is Jesus God? They just said he was. So they sang Hosanna with the rest of the crowd. And that's the last of what what I need to say. God's perfected praise gives us strength. The joy that we get from it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah knew it. A rejoicing people will always be strong Christians. You'll have strength in your your Christian life to stand. And your soul won't be sagging either. So Jesus gave them that scripture, and it says in verse 17, he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. That was the end of that. But these children, let's look at what they did. They were in the crowd, and they were singing Hosanna, to the son of David. I don't know whether they ever saw Jesus before that day. But Hosanna is a big word. It's only this long, but it's a big word. It's an exclamation of adoration. They said, there's Jesus. He is the one we should adore. Hosanna means, oh, save me. Whatever they did before that day, they looked to Jesus, the son of David, and said, save me. Save me. Hosanna means, I pray thee, I beseech thee. They were praying unto him. I think of the men in Job's day that said, what prophet should we have if we pray unto him? Well, eternal, eternal gain. When you call on him for salvation, he gives you a free gift of salvation. And Hosanna means free me, set me free. They did not know John 8, 36, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But they sang, Son of David, set me free. Open to me, be wide to me, make room for me. They didn't know Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hosanna means make me safe. They didn't sing safe in the arms of Jesus. And they didn't know John chapter 10 where it says we're kept in Jesus' hand and we're kept in the Father's hand and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Hosanna means succor me, comfort me, aid me, relieve me. They knew it was Jesus they had to go to for anything that they needed. These children recognized their Messiah was Jesus, the son of David, the Savior. That's all part of their perfected praise. 
I thought about this obscure passage of these children singing in the temple, and I said, you know, that's what God showed me. I don't need to try and move people's bodies. I don't need to try and move their heart. I need to take the scriptures and sing them so that the people hear the message of salvation in the Lord and are rescued and saved. Need to sing the Bible. That's the highest calling for a musician. Oh, you know, it doesn't take much to make people dance. It doesn't take much to make them cry. But oh, to, to sing a song whereby they can hear about the God who saves sinners. It's a completely different kind of life. I told preacher that when we were talking. I said, there's no higher calling than to st- stand in a, in a pulpit in a congregation and lead people in singing the praises of God. I can't do a better thing with my life. I can't do a better thing with my voice. I can't do a better thing with my time. And then, trusting always that preaching from the Word of God will follow that music. I said, Lord, put my music in front of good preaching. And I saw that that's what the Lord did for me. That's what he did for these children. They called on the Lord and said, Lord, save me. Then they began to sing so that others could hear. I'm 72 now, gave most of my life to it and not sorry for it at all. It's been a very joyful life. We use music to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. To point them to the scriptures, to point them to the preaching of the scriptures. And as I said, there's no no higher calling. They chose heavenly music over the earthly and the sensual and, and the devilish. I think the two choices are are easy to see, and I want to make sure I didn't forget anything. I could say a whole lot of things about how did they know the son of David? There were people all around them that talked about the coming Messiah, even those chief priests and scribes. But when Jesus came, they didn't, they didn't want to trust him. They didn't want to follow him. They didn't want to receive him. But as I said, I did a long time ago. And uh, not sorry that I made a right choice. Let's, st- let's stand to our feet. And I, I'll say this only that I've had some times in my life when I got turned totally upside down. I could not think straight. I did not believe God was doing anything for my good. But I had learned something that I could trust the word of God. Not my feelings, not my fleshly desires. In order to think right when my life was upside down, I had to turn to the Lord and say, no matter how I feel, this book is right. And if I do what this book says, I'll, I'll come out right at the other end. I definitely learned and could not trust my flesh, 
could not trust my heart. But I can trust God and his word. And it holds us together when everything is flipped upside down. God is a wonderful, loving God. I would recommend that you trust the Lord if you never have. And if you're his already, that you follow him and let his word guide you every step. There's going to be a rough, rough road somewhere. And you just can't trust yourself. You have to trust the Lord and his word. He'll guide you through it. It's a light. This book is a light unto our path and so forth. But um, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you this this morning. How many are, are here and you're born again, children of God, and you say, I've made some poor choices in music. I've made some wrong choices in music, and I just want God to kind of clear up and clean up some things in my life. And I see I need to make the right choice. And I, I, want, I want prayer for that. I want help for that. Just slip up your hand and put it down. I'm struggling with some of those things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm, I'm struggling with some things, and I want God to help me make the right choices. I'm, I'm right at a, maybe even at a crossroads about something. Anyone else? Before we pray, let me, let me ask this. Is there anybody here? And you've never, like those children who made the right choice, you've never said, Hosanna, Lord, save me. You've never come to the Savior and received him, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And you say, that's me today. I don't, I've never made that choice like those children did. I don't know the joy that they had in singing Hosanna to the son of David. Anyone like that? I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Anyone like that? Just slip up your hand and put it back down. I see I need to get that settled. Well, let's pray and then we'll, we'll close here. But dear Father, we thank thee for these scriptures that we read about the bodily, fleshly attack that music can be, the emotional attack it can be. And, and Lord, how wonderful it is when the music brings the word of God forth. That is what helps people and we know it is. They need to hear Bible. Help our lives be like those children who made the right choice. And Lord, especially those that raise their hand, help them with the struggle. It's always such a struggle because of these bodies of flesh that we have. Lord, we're subject to vanity, and, and it, I'm glad that we're also subject to hope. And then I would pray, Lord, if no one raised their hand and said they need to be saved, maybe everyone here knows thee already. But please, Lord, don't give them any rest or peace until they come to thee if they have not. If they cannot say, Hosanna, Lord Jesus, save me. Set me free. May they see they need to do that. And we'll thank thee and praise thee for working in their life too. Bless in these closing moments now, in Jesus' name, amen.